Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome Ivan Barrett with the Barrett Asset Management Company. I appreciate your time, Ivan. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you for having me, Sakar. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week, and I hope I can deliver some value to your audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. For our audience who have probably not heard of Ivan, which I can't imagine, but uh, <laughs> Ivan is a rock star and a big presence in multifamily. Um, his company, uh, currently they own 3000 units. Ivan has raised uh, $80 million. So from his humble beginnings, he has come to a lot of success and he has helped and grown uh, his team and a lot of people around uh, around him. His company uh, is a two-time Inc. 5000 private equity and management firm. Today, Ivan focuses on equity financing, uh, acquisitions, and company strategy. So today, we are going to dig into his story. Uh, their company owns uh, cumulatively about 300 to 350 millions of assets comprising of 3,500 units. Boy, that is an impressive- And I, I drink a lot of water. Awesome. <laughs> so you're still grounded, right? <laughs> good, good. So uh, thank you, Ivan. I appreciate uh, I have been looking forward to the, this uh, episode as well as I shared. And I have always en enjoyed uh, your insights and your expertise on a lot of other medium podcasts as well. Thank and you. Um, thank you. I definitely want to dig into your story uh, as much as I think viewers will again uh, would like to rewind. Uh, give us some background, Ivan as to you know how you got started uh, sure. and you know how you kind of transitioned towards multifamily I should say well I'm I'm, I'm lucky in some ways uh, many ways uh, I grew up with entrepreneurial parents my father an attorney uh, sole practitioner um, and real estate investor he, he had uh, lots of rental properties growing up and uh, naturally my brother and I became his uh, his labor arm over summers, mowing lawns, pulling weeds, uh, whatever, whatever he could, uh, he could get us to do, mm -hmm. um, which developed uh, early sort of a, a disdain for manual labor. I still hate mowing the yard to this day. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, my wife loves making fun of that, that, that fact. Uh, but I also got this bug for real estate and I thought, gosh, you know, why would you want a real job? Mm -hmm. um, why not just own a lot of income property and, uh, and watch the rent checks come in. And of course it, you know, it turns out it's a, it's a real job, but it, it definitely stoked that entrepreneurial fire, uh, mm -hmm. at a very young age. And, awesome. uh, so by the time I, by the time I went to college, uh, Indiana university, great business school, I knew I wanted to be in real estate. So I, uh, I got into the business school back then they, they'd let anybody in. Uh, I think they took pity on me or my essay or, or something and uh, was able to, 
to, to tweak into into business school being a you know a C plus B minus student at best. Sure, sure. Um, and so I, I get out of uh, of uh, IU with a a uh, degree in real estate finance and and um, a background in real estate law and development and it, it's a really great school within their business school. Sure. And sure. you know I think I'm I'm pretty smart, and I, I get a a mentorship uh, of father figures still to this day, um, working for a developer here in Indy. Mm-hmm. And I basically, um, my dad had a lot of lessons growing up and a lot of, a lot of good sayings. And I got my foot in the door with my first mentor by saying, I will work for free. Mm-hmm. I'm here to work, to learn, not to earn. Sure. And of course he, he paid me something and I, I got paid uh, commission uh, when I sold things, he was developing real estate, building condos for sale, great projects, um, developing subdivisions. He owned multifamily, so I got a taste of some asset and property management, zoning, acquisitions, um, market study, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and feasibility, which uh, still guides me today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I, then I, so now I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking I'm really smart, right? And um, 2008 comes along. Sure. And all these millions of dollars in development project commissions that I'll make when we, when we <laughs> basically flip out of them <laughs> uh, goes poof. Sure. And, and, and if, I, if I may, Ivan, yeah. when did you graduate and when did you start working for this developer? Uh, what year was that? So I graduated IU uh, in 2000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I got my foot in the door with him, I think late 02, early 03. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I got out of college and uh, went back to a company that I worked for in their sales department, uh, managing a sales team. Then I got some odd jobs working for some real estate guys, cataloging uh, environmental sites, <laughs> some, just some weird stuff because sure. um, I didn't want to go the brokerage route. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't want to be a cog in a, in a big machine and I wanted to work in development and I didn't know how to get into it mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. And, um, I got some good advice. Well, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, keep working on your sales skills. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I did that until I could find the right, the right opportunity in real estate. Sure. And, uh, I, I, if I may, um, you just indicated that you didn't want to go into brokerage, right? So typically a lot of folks will say, hey, I want to get into a real estate. And typically, especially when they're young, they kind of transition towards sales and brokerage side of the house. So was that sort of the guidance from your father or something, some learnings that you or experiences you had had where you were thinking that, yes, I want to be perhaps into development. Was there something about it? I really wanted to be in development. I wanted to understand how, how to develop because at that time I thought I would be a real estate developer. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. I would go out, acquire land, um, build projects, and then sell those projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I had basically forgotten why I got into real estate in the first place, which was cash flow. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I basically got sort of distracted or uh, seduced mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the sexiness of uh, being a real estate developer and building shiny objects and selling them. And at that time, you know, you built it and people bought it. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really easy. Sure. Uh, I'm really good at this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then 2008 hits. Sure. And um, uh, I find myself negative uh, cash flow, 
negative net worth. I think I was about $200,000 in debt, mm-hmm. negative like five grand a month. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and had to work my way out of that mm-hmm. and, uh, and figure out how to, how to, you know, climb out of that from less than zero. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm, I'm soul searching. I'm reading all my old, all my old books again, trying to figure out how to stay in real estate. Uh, mm-hmm. I am doing a little bit of real estate brokerage on the side, helping people buy and sell homes, uh, a lot of land consulting because I was really good at that. Mm-hmm. And finally developed this idea, uh, bouncing it off my brother um, and my, my father, that I would, I would start a property management company, which I absolutely hated and, sure. and didn't mm-hmm. want to do, but came to the realization that if I could do what I hated and I could scale a business around it, I could grow uh, cash flowing uh, a cash flowing business, recurring sure. recurring revenue. I could build a company around that, sure. and down the road somewhere I could do bigger deals. I, so I, I can totally and, relate. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I never did the single family route like you did. I was buying, um, um, but I managed a lot of single family for other mm-hmm. out of out of town investors. Sure. And I started buying small multifamily deals with hard money, mm-hmm. um, highly distressed deals and highly distressed sellers in, in about 2010 and forward sure. mm-hmm. uh, where I could go in and I could, I could use the, the bigger pockets burn method. Back then it wasn't called that, Sure. Uh, but, but exact philosophy has been around for a long time. Buy, add a lot of value, uh, you know, lease the units, sure. right? Refinance sure. it uh, with better terms sure. And, sure. And, and repeat. Absolutely. And so I was doing that on small multifamily deals, duplexes, then a six unit. There's a triplex in there. Uh, in my market, there's a lot more duplexes than anything else. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, started buying um, some smaller deals, 35 units, 30 units. Uh, then I said I'd never uh, do another small deal again. And I bought 15 because it was too good of a deal to pass up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm, I'm taking on management contracts. And I'm hiring people and learning how to manage teams and grow a company. Sure. Uh, whereas today, you know, we're, we're approaching by the end of this year, probably 3,700 units, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe 4,000. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, and very little uh, third party management anymore sure. uh, because we really like um, controlling the, the entire um, uh, leadership um, and we, we don't like working for anybody else except for right, our right, investors. Right, right. right. Uh, well, I, we, we've got I, our I, own I, way of doing things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But, and, and there's a lot of, lot of great things to unpack right, right from that, uh, Ivan. Yeah. Uh, I would like to Unpack maybe away, Sakar, whatever, whatever you want to <laughs> poke around on. Go for sure. It. Um, you shared the story of your father that, uh, um, you know, he owns rental units and stuff. So I'd like to yeah. perhaps, you know, uh, go back to that, Ivan, that um, the belief in real sure. estate as to, you know, a good vehicle that you want to, you know, own for the long term and have it as a career of sorts. What, what, was your father instrumental uh, or the experiences uh, besides cutting grass, I should say, what, were those the experiences that kind of... Uh, propelled you to say that, hey, you know what, this is where I want to be. And I'd like to, you know, follow up also by saying, uh, or asking rather that, uh, does your father still own uh, portfolios now or he's completely out of it? So uh, I'll, I'll go backwards. So my dad no longer owns real estate, except what he invests with, with alongside me. We've got lots of friends and family in our deals, sure. um, mm-hmm. as well as investors now and 
gosh, I think we're approaching 40 states in, in three or four countries uh, in addition to the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so just to expand on that, so my, my dad owns rental properties. My, uh, his brother uh, never graduated the 10th grade. I think that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. he, he left high school as a sophomore. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and became a multimillionaire um, via owning, uh, the, he bought a gas station. Uh, he, he bought it seller financed off of, a, off of a guy. Then he bought another one. Then he started buying car washes. Um, and he owned commercial real estate. And then I had an uncle on my mom's side who owned a couple apartment buildings. So I got this really early exposure to it. And when Rich Dad Poor Dad came out in 1996, my dad probably got the first, uh, the first running of that book and gave it to me mm -hmm. and said, Hey, you know, read this. Um, and, uh, so he, he was really into real estate. I think if he had gone, if he had had a time machine, he would have gone a different path. Mm -hmm. I was actually getting ready to go to law school and I had sat for the LSAT and I thought I needed more schooling and I thought being a lawyer uh, or going to law school and then getting into development mm -hmm. would be a great track. A lot of guys have done that. Mm -hmm. And my dad says, Sakari says, don't go to law school. He said, at the end of the day, you're still an hourly employee. Mm -hmm. says, be an entrepreneur and hire great attorneys. Wow. Profound. And that hit, me like a, that hit me like a ton of bricks because it's Absolutely. coming from my dad who's an attorney. Wow. Yeah. Profound advice. Profound advice. And, and, and yeah. what you stated, Ivan, is very correct as uh, experienced folks who are in the industry have been around for, uh, for like, let's say, a couple of decades. They know that there are a lot of veterans from 60s, 70s, stuff like that, who owned a lot of mom and pop, like, let's say, the buildings, the gas stations, the car washes. And we all have seen those folks or heard of those folks and what that uh, sort of generational wealth uh, that has done to their families. So yeah. it is, and that's have you, what- Have you crossed with KK Singh yet? Have you guys crossed paths? I have, I have, and I, I, and I, so, I, I relate to that story as well with all the well, gas stations. I've got stuff. a good story for you. So, um, so KK's son, Yuvi, actually works at BAM. Oh, nice. Um, oh, incredible. <laughs> he's been an intern here now for, I think, two years. Incredible. And, incredible. And everybody loves Yuvi. And, and I remember when KK asked me to, to talk to him because he'd be coming to Indianapolis mm -hmm. uh, to study and he needed a job. And I said, sure. I tell my partner, uh, he's the yin to my yang. Um, mm -hmm. So much credit for our success. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. master, master operator. Mm -hmm. um, master uh, at being president and CEO of BAM. Mm -hmm. I say, hey, I want to look at this kid. He's like, hey, I'm too busy. What are we going to use an intern for? Um, and I said, listen, just meet with him. You decide. It's up to you. I don't care if you hire him or not. I'll tell his dad, you know, either way, he'll be fine with it. Sure. sure. So Yubi mm -hmm. comes in and tells his stories about working for his dad's gas station, you know, the night shift, collecting rents at KK's rental properties. Sure. Mm -hmm. Adam comes out of that interview. He comes to me. He's like, I don't know what we're going to have this kid do. I don't know where we're going to put him, but we got to hire him. He can do it all. <laughs> we'll use him somehow. Yes. Right? Yep. And, and, and I, I find that so significant because, you know, so many parents out there focus on, you know, the report card and learning an instrument and you know, yep. being in the play and like all these things to, sure. to get their kid into this corporate machine. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these other cultures that I find so fascinating. It's like, hey, you're going to collect rent. You're going to work the convenience store, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
it's like that kind of a resume opens up so many doors uh, absolutely. for young people. Uh, and absolutely. so many are unwilling to do it. True. Very true. Very true. And for our listeners, just to maybe give some context, KK Singh is another multifamily uh, investor friend of a mutual friend of ours. And that's his phenomenal son. human being. <laughs> that's his son uh, that Ivan is describing. And, and on a related note, uh, Ivan, I was just reading yesterday that uh, within the Charlotte and sort of the Carolinas, more than 50% of the hotels and motels are owned by immigrant families. More than 50%. I believe it. That is an astounding stat. And I have been to, you know, sort of your neck of the woods within Indiana and Ohio's of the world where I know there's a lot of uh, Asian hotel owner presence as well. And I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Uh, But it's it's perspective, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. It's almost that mentality of delaying gratification and working hard for the next generation. Sure. Right? Whereas some some folks maybe born here feel a little bit more entitled. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, as, a, as a young father, it's really fun to watch uh, a man like KK, you know, be successful with his kids. Uh, and my wife and I were just talking about this on date night last night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at what age would it be appropriate to have our oldest son uh, get dropped off at the maintenance shop at one of our apartment <laughs> projects for the day, right? Sure, right? sure. And, uh, and, you know, I said nine, she said 10. So uh, I think it'll probably be 10. Um, ah, interesting. But, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the kind of focus we have um, uh, in, in hoping to develop more entrepreneurs uh, in our own family and, uh, and, and no wage slaves, sure, if, you, sure. uh, if you know the, the term. Absolutely. And thank you for that that detail there, Ivan. And for our listeners, it's important to share sort of the values, the work ethic that goes into these things. And that's why I wanted to go back to that uh, sort of element of your background, wherein, you, you know, like once you have that work ethic, you've seen like, you know, how you are fixing the plumbing or the mowing the grass or, you know, calling and uh, scheduling the appointments for all different, let's say the showings or the maintenance. Once you see all those details and as big as you are right now, your belief into, I think, owning that property management yourself and running the show uh, yourself goes a long way because I think the amount of, uh, I think, NOI increase, as we call it, or the value that you can provide is astounding. Wouldn't you agree, Ivan, on that? Well, there's, um, there, there's a couple sides to that. And, you, and you're right. We're, we're finding um, the third stool of value for our investors is our management team's ability to drive down costs. Uh, primarily through technology, but also because we're in the nuts and bolts. Sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is a game of, of, um, of pennies, you know, nickel game and dimes. efficiency. Absolutely. Yeah, nickel and dimes are great, but it's really a game of pennies, right? Every Absolutely. dollar we add to the bottom line can be anywhere from 17 to $20 of value to the asset. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And then this, this beautiful thing happens when you own your management team and the management piece is not a profit center. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's, its directive or its mission is to be this beautiful machine of sure. people who have wonderful tools uh, who can execute our business plan. Without them, it doesn't matter how good I do on podcasts and raising capital or how good the deal is. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's the execution. 
Absolutely. And so instead of being miserly um, with how we pay people Mm -hmm. uh, and how we manage our own expenses, Mm -hmm. we take what would be at best maybe a 10 to 15% margin, similar to like maybe a restaurant, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. sort of a low margin business. Mm -hmm. And instead, uh, because that's not where we get our wealth, uh, Mm -hmm. my mine, my partner or our investors, we reinvest that back into the business. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and this, this amazing simple thing happens when you pay people well, you treat them well, you have good culture, you get, you get better people banging on the door to, to, to work for you. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they tend to stick around longer and do a better job. And for us, yeah. So for us, it's about growing our people, having a good environment, which isn't always the case in property management. It's a very tough job, right? How do you make it fun? How do you offer career progression for those that want it? Um, and how do you make it a place that feels a little bit like a family, no matter how big it gets? And we, we have a lot of folks here um, that have taken that, that idea um, that, that I started with, and now I get almost zero credit. They get all the credit because it, they believe in our vision. It's not just something on a piece of paper. It's, sure. it's real. And so you get to see this, this culture, this beautiful machine grow a full, filled with beautiful human beings um, who are um, just as invested uh, in, in success as we are. And we're, we're heavy on Slack. You know, that's, that's how we communicate across, you know, these, these, these um, folks that are all over the Midwest now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's just so fun. I'm almost like a proud dad in a sense, and in, in, in watching this organism grow, and, the, mm-hmm. and these these folks um, uh, run their respective departments, and 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 even grow leaders underneath our leaders. It's um, it's truly almost sometimes speechless um, when I when I stop to think about um, what we've done here and the impact of of, of those the key people, um, the executive team, um, but then all, all the way down to the person picking up trash, you know, sure. on site, right? Sure. And how do we treat that person right? And how do we, how do we, how do we keep them around uh, and, and make them feel valued? Because, um, gosh, you know, the places would fall apart without that person. Couldn't agree more. I, I totally can relate and I, I'm a much smaller player uh, with respect to that, but the same values, the same, uh, you know, sort of the vision and exactly what we do, whether, you know, in our company as well, you know, like literally the same contractor that I have been working with him for gosh, like more than 15 years now, I've seen his kids and I mean, and there are a lot of them like that line and we love to reward, you know, maybe give them some extra help when they are buying the trucks or the houses and whatnot. And it's the same exact thing is that once you have the mind, once they believe in you, my God, the, the type of execution and the type of, you know, customer service they give is simply unbelievable. And, and one of my, I think, uh, really proud moments is like, sort of on the Christmas, you know, around the Christmas time when I'm giving like the, either is this the, the Thanksgiving gifts or, the, you know, around the Christmas, I'm giving them like literally like double bonuses sometimes. And I, and I love that fact because, you know, I right. said, you know what, you are the guys who are like making it happen. A lot of times I'm on just on phone calls, but you are the guys, you know, going on, on yeah. uh, running, uh, you know, whether it's rain or shine or uh, hot or cold, you are the guys who are, you know, keeping uh, everything running and doing things right. So this is, this is the best part that, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's like 
heart cherishing as much as it is than you know just Absolutely. all the other numbers you know so good awesome boy you added a lot of value in the right out of the gate ivan so i appreciate oh, it my so, pleasure let's let's talk some of the strategy and you know some of the sort of the mechanical side of things uh, ivan here right i'll, I'll um, do my best <laughs> so uh, explain us uh, ivan that uh, how was your sort of first syndication deal or I don't know whether it was a joint venture of sorts um, kind of help us understand when wa was your realization came that you want to be in uh, sort of bigger properties and you want to more importantly start syndicating uh, uh, you know the uh, the larger assets um, from, a, from a very early age I would always um, want to, to scale the formula, right? So sure. mm -hmm. uh, even in my early 20s, uh, I, would, I would think about, wow, if I owned 100 duplexes or 200 duplexes, how would that look? And then as time grew on, like, oh, you know, I want to own these bigger apartment deals. I, I, I very quickly um, realized that they have much better economies of scale. Um, and in some ways that was an obstacle to getting started at a young age because I thought, you know, I'm not going to mess around doing some small deals. I'm going to get into these big deals. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and going back to my father, you know, in that soul searching in, in 2008 and nine, out of nowhere, the same that he had, he had preached every chance he got that would really annoy me as a kid, mm -hmm. this, this, um, the journey of 10,000 steps starts with the first one, right? Absolutely. And then all of a sudden one day, I, I couldn't tell you where I was or what I was doing, but I'll, I'll never forget that I put units for steps. And it was an ego check. And I thought, okay, the journey to 10,000 units, I've got two right now. It mm -hmm. starts with the next deal. It doesn't matter how big the deal is. I just got to go out and do a deal, Sure. right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then worry about the next deal and, and, and putting that foot in front of the other and stop looking at the summit um, that, that will never get closer if I don't start hiking up the mountain. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I, I started taking that approach mm -hmm. and I stopped thinking about big deals for a while. I started doing my little deals and, and continue to graduate up. Um, the first few apartment deals, the 35, the 30, the 15, uh, I, I, it was an operating agreement with, with, uh, one investor, mm -hmm. uh, who put up most of the money, different investors in the deals, but mm -hmm. one person would put up the money, mm -hmm. you know, a hundred, hundred grand, 150 grand, uh, and, and we would buy the deal and mm -hmm. I would throw in my real estate commission, uh, whatever spare change I had. Sure, right. Sure. And then we would, we would have a preferred return in a, in a split. Mm -hmm. Um, my first, um, Real syndication with a private placement memorandum would be my 60-unit deal I bought mm -hmm. uh, in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, sold that in late 18, I want to say. Don't quote me on the dates. It's on my sure. track record, I think. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, late 2018, uh, five-year hold, uh, my worst IRR to date, but it was still 17%. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, learned a lot on that deal. Um, certainly made some mistakes, um, but luckily was conservative enough in the underwriting mm -hmm. and, and uh, had my own management company and mm -hmm. hustled hard enough to, uh, to get the ship uh, back on track. Uh, we refinanced it 
and uh, and a couple years later, uh, as the market continued to um, to um, improve, we we sold it to the to the next syndicator. Interesting. And uh, and then from there, um, five years ago this month, actually, my partner and I um, sort of found each other. He was in the business, uh, came on board to work with me just on the apartment side, mm-hmm. uh, on the deal side. We were going to work on deals together. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately for him, I discovered how great of an operator he was <laughs> and, and continued to give him more and more of the, of the reins and control of the management company. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas today mm-hmm. he's the COO and, and the executive team uh, reports to him. And uh, I have to practice uh, a daily discipline of staying out of their way uh, <laughs> as the entrepreneur that tends to get in the way and, and uh, you know, it, it needs to, needs to um, learn to, to uh, elegate, elevate and delegate. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Got a lot better at it than I used to be. But it's still a, a daily, a daily uh, practice. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you. And I couldn't agree more that I think at the scale and the size you are, uh, Ivan. I think uh, you need able firing partners on all different ends that can, you know, sort of t- take the reins and uh, run with it, right? It's a uh, team sport, uh, absolutely, big time. Yeah. And the more, the more you can figure out how to tinker and put in the right parts and 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 cut out the ones that aren't working, uh, and grow a team, um, the better. And um, uh, focusing on A players attracts more A players. Sure, sure. Now, a couple of few related questions there, Ivan. Um, as you are growing bigger into uh, sort of, let's say, from 15, 20, 35 unit type of deals, now you are yeah. trending into 60 unit deals and things like that. So they need, you know, uh, like, let's say when you are bringing on the investors and stuff, like, were um, you savvy enough to, underwrite those deals are kind of the type of perhaps the on a 300 unit type of underwriting that you may be doing now i'm sure it has a lot more complexities now versus then so i want to you know kind of delve into uh, when you started doing the 60 unit deal like let's say your first deal did you were you like savvy enough to understand all the preferred returns and the waterfalls and stuff like that. Was it that technical or was it something like, Hey, I know this is what I did on the 35 unit deal on this 60 unit deal. Maybe I can get a couple of more partners and I know I can give them some cash flow and uh, some piece of the pie. So was it more of that napkin math type of thing or were you uh, like properly underwriting the deal per se? Um, so I, one of the things that was really beneficial to going through business school was, was, um, learning the ins and outs of Excel and, and real estate modeling. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so I actually got to take a class in it. Mm-hmm. Now the, the good news is for your audience, there's tons of ways to get that same information. You don't have to get a fancy degree from a big 10 college, uh, to get that information anymore. Sure. But I was very insistent on taking those models and developing them as I continue to grow. So mm-hmm. my model that I took away from college kept evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would put on and bolt on more pieces as I went. And before I started doing deals with investors, I was able to, um, to take others' models uh, mm-hmm. that had been given to me and add those in as far as the waterfall. Mm-hmm. I, knew it, I knew it conceptually and understood um, it's a very simple private equity model. It's nothing new. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the LP GP structure and, and, and prefer, preferred interest and splits and waterfalls, those sorts of things. Right. Uh, and I wanted to have, I wanted to have a really good handle on that before taking other um, investors uh, capital. Now, the mistakes I made were not in the math so much is in the what can go wrong and, you know, thinking uh, owning a 30 unit and owning a 60 unit are the same thing. They're not <laughs> just like a 30 unit is not the same thing as owning uh, 15 duplexes. Sure. Right. Sure. You've got more more uh, residents in one place. You've got um, more more maintenance, more common area uh, issues, that type of thing that, you that, you know, I, I could have preferred performed better um, than I did going into it. Sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I didn't let that get in my way. I didn't want to get bogged down in, in analysis paralysis. So I always put in, you know, these big fudge factors in the beginning mm -hmm. um, so that I knew I'd be making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the way I've sort of always approached this is I'm going to fail small and fail early. Mm -hmm. So that by the time I get to that 60 unit, I've learned some valuable lessons that will cost me less Wow. on a 15 mm -hmm. or a 30 unit than mm -hmm. will cost me on a 60 and on 112. And, you know, I had a 30 unit, uh, heavy, heavy reno deal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. almost freaking killed me. <laughs> I learned so much on that deal. Um, and, and, uh, and I wanted to go through that on 30 versus 300 because 300 would have killed me. Right. Right. And when I say killed, I mean, it, you know, I, I would have had to do a capital call or the project would have gone sure. back to the bank or, you know, some, something bad would have happened. Sure, and sure, I wanted sure. to have that, that body of experience uh, before taking on in, investor capital. But I also realized that at a young age, um, relatively, that to, to scale and grow real estate, um, it's not location, location, location. Uh, I'm going to quote Ken McElroy here. It's location uh, financing and partners. You need partners. You need capital to Absolutely. scale real estate. It's expensive. It takes a lot of cash to buy it. Sure. Uh, and so you got to figure out all those, all those pieces as, a, as an entrepreneur in the space. Absolutely. Capital is such key, such key. Uh, now, as moving on, Ivan, as you started to grow, right? Um, yeah. Have you changed your parameters in terms of, you know, what class of property you're buying and things Big like time. that? Okay. Help us walk through, uh, like, you know, sort of your experiences and mistakes and things like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, finding alpha returns for our investors, alpha for us is, is maintaining returns and reducing risk mm -hmm. versus shooting for higher returns. Mm -hmm. uh, our returns are already pretty, pretty great. You know, we're, we're, if we liquidated everything today, I think we'd be 22 and change as far wow. as an annualized return. Mm -hmm. um, so our, our approach has been taking more and more risk off the table as we got later and later in the cycle. So the last uh, two years, 2018 and 19, mm -hmm. um, the goal always starts off the same. Um, we want to buy 1,500 to 2,000 apartments. Well, in 2018, we bought maybe 800 and change, mm -hmm. not for lack of capital, but for lack of deal flow. And then in 20, same thing. Uh, lack of deal flow. We closed on a, you know a little over 500 units. Mm -hmm. This year, this year we're already um, um, seeing better deal flow thanks to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But we've we've moved away from from C class um, and are now focused for us on A minus and B plus. Mm -hmm. um, 
to where the upside is still a high teens uh, rate of return. We, we, we really look for uh, the ability to, to deliver two and a half X mm-hmm. our investors somewhere between years five and seven. I see. We, if we hit it in seven, it's like a 16. If we hit it in five, it's, it's 18 and change IRR. But we really look for that, that target multiple. Mm-hmm. And we're out there buying businesses, Sakar. So we, we want a business that's, that's been reasonably well run already. Sure. Mm-hmm. But will benefit further uh, in a market that's still growing. Mm-hmm. The ability to raise some rents through value add, uh, traditional value add, um, sure. changing out cosmetics, upgrading um, uh, amenity packages. Sure. And third, uh, our, our management team coming in and adding value. In, I was in, just in, waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's how we're still getting those returns is that mm-hmm. I, I don't know how we do it without, th- without uh, having our internal management team right now. Um, and and I, I want to just be clear, when I say A minus, or B plus, we are still in the workforce housing space. Mm-hmm. Although I would say we're more on the upper end of workforce, mm-hmm. um, but we still seek a delta or a change or a difference between new product and our as reno rents or as renovated rents uh, of anywhere from five hundred, seven hundred fifty dollar a month difference or delta. So we I still see. want a we still want a big spread from luxury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we take a little bit of risk off the table in, in the Midwest by buying 1990s, uh, early 2000s vintage deals mm-hmm. um, that, you know, they may not do a 25% IRR, mm-hmm. uh, but they're highly, highly confident uh, in delivering uh, a 16 or better. I see. Good. Thank you. Thank you for that detail, Ivan. Now, yeah. uh, in that... The, con- the, the air is thinner when you're, when you're buying $25, $30 million deals to car. There's less bidders at the table. <laughs> I hear you there. I hear you. Yeah. I'd love to do some heavy value add C stuff, man, but I can't find anything where I can get a 20 to 25 uh, or better internal rate of return. And that's what I need for that kind of risk in my market. I see. I see. Now, speaking of the market, uh, Ivan, uh, help us understand um, how is, you know, sort of Indiana in general or sort of some of the cities that you are investing. uh, You stated you are branched out in Ohio as well. Help us walk through, you know, you have such a large presence in a lot of uh, cities within Indiana. Um, So maybe is Indiana growing or are there a lot of jobs? Uh, Help us understand how the market is. Yeah, Indianapolis is at the forefront of Midwestern growth. It's a Cinderella story, mm-hmm. um, successfully decoupled from the, the rust belt or manufacturing uh, economy of old. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's still advanced manufacturing, but there's financial services, education, government, huge in logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're buying a deal um, uh, in August. Uh, built in 2004, straight down the fairway value add deal for us, um, mostly management uh, and, and a little bit of uh, improvements to the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, FedEx, uh, second largest hub in the world, mm-hmm. is at our international airport right up the street from this asset. Um, so Indianapolis has got a lot of things going, going forward. Um, for your audience on the West Coast, it's a Salesforce hub. Wow. Mm-hmm. I bought, it bought a big company here years ago called Exact Target, and now Indy's a Salesforce hub in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. There's, there's growing um, uh, technology, bioscience, Lilly, uh, which is a big um, 
uh, pharmaceutical firm is, is homegrown here. Mm-hmm. Cummins, Cummins, which is a global uh, engine uh, sure. maker all over the world, is is, is headquartered here in uh, in central Indiana, and it's still sort of off of a lot of people's radar. Although that's changed a lot in the last few years, mm-hmm. um, I can I can find submarkets in what I would call the Indianapolis solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, where I can get a better a better going in cap rate than that same asset uh, might be in other markets, and mm-hmm. there's still enough growth here. Uh, my favorite stat: the last 35 years, the average rent growth in Indy has been uh, almost three percent, 2.9 percent. Very healthy. In- Very healthy. Awesome. Indy mm-hmm. Indy doesn't boom, Sakar. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't bust either. It's the sure. tortoise versus the hare. Right, right, and it it matches very well with our investment thesis. We're not we're not aiming to hit home runs here, although we do hit them, maybe one or or two out of five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but we're aiming for first and second base. Um, rule number one: don't lose money. Sure. Mm-hmm. R- rule number two: remember rule number one. Right. Mm-hmm. And then rule number three is how do we make returns? And that's, I know, and, and that's I the think, part of the portfolio that that, that we offer uh, for our our high net worth individuals and families. Right, right. And you have, as you shared before as well, you have like sort of uh, so many proprietary uh, sort of secret sauce going on there. And, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in what you said there about, you know, also sort of the management play, because I think reducing those expenses and knowing sort of, you know, what exactly you can do. And so that when you are maybe studying the uh, sort of the rent rolls or, you know, the, uh, all the uh, income statements of uh, properties, you can probably spot the inefficiencies very quickly because you've seen it, you've done it so much that you, you know what your payroll numbers are or contract services numbers are. Yeah. Would, would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, you know, because you have to move so fast now on deals, um, we do the bulk of the underwriting before the LOI ever goes out. Before we even tour the property, we've underwritten it first pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because we have that internal management team, we know what a property built in 2004 by a certain apartment builder. Mm-hmm. We, we know exactly if there's anything wrong with it. We know exactly <laughs> what it's going to take to run it. Sure. Uh, we know what we're going to spend per unit on the reno. We know what it's going to cost to switch out the old tired gym equipment, with new gym equipment and yoga and fitness sure. on demand. Mm-hmm. We know all those costs um, uh, down to the penny. Wow. And so we can, we can move a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you know, we, we got started um, uh, long enough ago that we've got a really, really solid track record, of course, with our investors, but also uh, with the biggest um, brokers. Mm-hmm. who are really our outsourced acquisition team um, at, mm-hmm. at our level um, broker relationships are everything um, yeah. at 25, 30, $35 million assets. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not go direct to seller. Our off market deals still come through brokers. We would never violate those relationships. Mm-hmm. We value them um, so much Absolutely. and, uh, mm-hmm. and we're, and we're grateful to be at the top of their list. Um, now that uh, the deal flow is getting a, a little bit better, um, thanks to uh, the pandemic. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, give us some idea, uh, Ivan, about some of the sort of the value adds that you may have done uh, in, in, in a, some of your assets as to, you know, like uh, maybe external uh, improvements or some uh, internal amenity packages that you have done and, you know, what sort of uh, cost you are doing them at and what sort of rent bumps you're seeing. 
<laughs> I know you like to get into the mechanics here. Um, we, we, you know, we aim, we, we look for deals where we can do 150 to $200 a door uh, in 36 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 36 months. Uh, I don't think we're doing anything crazy on, on uh, amenity packages, but we're, we're upgrading clubhouses, pool furniture, the gyms, bark parks, that kind of thing. Nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and some of the ways that we renovate units and, and the costs associated with that is none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. All right. I appreciate that. No problem. And, and, and that's the secret sauce that I'm saying is that a lot of times, you know, your costs, you have your vendor relationships and things like that, right? So, anybody that's dedicated to this and sure. really wants to do well at it can figure it out. It's sure. It's, mm-hmm. it's really not rocket science. It's, it's not. Just, it's a daily discipline and focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And now, uh, Ivan, growing as big as your company has grown, you know, help us understand, like when you started, like, you know, let's say you were, you were at 1000 units, you know, 15 to 1000, you know, uh, give us a sense of like, you know, how your responsibilities changed and evolved over time. Um, a lot of my, um, so as, as you mentioned earlier, I was a solopreneur in the beginning. I did everything. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. up to 70 units and I was the leasing agent, uh, the property manager, the maintenance coordinator. Uh, I had a bookkeeper coming in every other week, so I didn't screw up the books, mm-hmm. uh, but I was everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, you know, you, you have to, what, what got me there wouldn't get me to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So over time as an entrepreneur, you start having to learn how to manage people and teams. And that's, that, that makes the real estate look easy most days. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to get better at, um, giving more responsibility away, letting, letting people learn the hard way, um, Mm -hmm. letting them, letting them fail forward, which is very hard for me to do when I think I know everything, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and getting humbled and and learning to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, today, uh, we've been through a lot of, of training together and coaching and, and structure today. I, I focus a lot of my time on doing things like this speaking with investors uh, because my, my favorite thing is to look at the macro strategy, look at the markets, mm-hmm. look at what the Fed and the Treasury are doing, mm-hmm. uh, making investment decisions. And then I, get, I have fun because I get to push the team. Who's our next key hire? What does mm-hmm. our company look like in six months, a year from now? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how does our marketing change? How do we stay at the forefront of... Um, of, of being a, a best in class when it comes to property management and investor mm-hmm. relations. And, and so I get to sort of ask these big questions mm-hmm. and, and make sure and push the team on focusing on these things. Um, they've got their goals and their quarterly rocks as well. And they're doing awesome at that, mm-hmm. which allows me to sort of stay at a much higher altitude. And, and I get to now look at the whole, chessboard a lot more often and um and figure out uh where we want to go next and i i have the um the humble uh ability uh to bounce just about everything off my partner mm-hmm. um and i would say 60 percent of the time he tells me i'm wrong and maybe even more than that and uh, pokes <laughs> holes in my ideas and it, it, sure. it's great and a, a few of them get through uh his um uh his underwriting Mm-hmm. And, uh, and help us uh, run faster and play bigger. 
Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Ivan. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I know you, your time is limited and uh, there's a lot more that we can go into for, for sure. But some of the questions I think uh, for you are like very, you know, I think dry of sorts. And, and that's why I like to, you know, maybe perhaps stay higher level and ask the bigger questions. It, it sounds like based on, I think what you stated there, Ivan, uh, looks like you have implemented EOS process within uh, your company. Is that kind of where you are going with the quarterly rocks and things like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. We, we've been on EOS now for maybe a year and a half. Uh, and it's it's definitely um, probably top three game changers in the last 24 months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, it's, it's taken our team through EOS. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really been helpful in scaling the company, giving getting everybody on the same page, growing that vision, that mission, mm -hmm. uh, having those quarterly rocks and goals that that everybody uh, uh, is accountable to. Sure. Mm -hmm. And and, and further um, separating uh, who's accountable for what. Sure. It's been a, a great process for any aspiring entrepreneur uh, that's gotten to a plateau and is looking to grow again and needs help in that, that organization, uh, how to conduct meetings, how to grow, have, have accountability. Um, I would say start with Traction or, or Rocket Fuel, those books. Sure. Uh, sure. For the record, I didn't read either one of them. <laughs> uh, I just was told by other entrepreneurs, hey, man, do this. Sure. Uh, and I'm a fire ready aim guy. Right. So I said, hey, team, uh, I want you to hear this guy talk for 90 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, let me know what you think. And they were like, yeah, this seems like a really good system. And, uh, and so they decided to move forward with it. I was honored to be a part of the process. And now they took that proverbial baton and are running hard with it. And it's, uh, again, I, I'm like a proud dad watching them uh, grow <laughs> and, and grow leaders underneath them. Sure. Thank, thank you for your candid, uh, uh, you know, detail there. Uh, I have a couple of last questions. You know, uh, you are big in property management and owning and managing your assets, right? So if you were to now branch out into, let's say, nearby submarkets or a close by uh, sort of state next to you, you know, how would you do that? Would you maybe perhaps acquire to uh, you know, get more scale before you can stamp your own management company, or would you perhaps maybe do a third-party management? Uh, give us some sense of your. No way, Jose. Um, we will definitely go to uh, additional markets that are a little bit farther away. Mm -hmm. um, but we we would absolutely have to have um, on-site boots on the ground, BAM employees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, I no see. question. Even if even if the our company lost a little bit of money with the first one. Mm -hmm. um, not, not the investors, but, uh, even if it costs our management company internally uh, more, mm -hmm. you know, at a loss, we would use that as a loss leader to enter a new market. Uh, we would not go to a market and hire third party managers. I've seen guys like me do that, uh, mm -hmm. out of ego just to go to a new market. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've seen people lose deals and have big capital calls, um, because they screwed that up. And, awesome. uh, and, and it's not a question of if we'll go, but when, uh, mm -hmm. but we'll be disciplined in our approach and we'll stick to our knitting. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And one last question, Ivan, uh, sure. give us a couple of like awesome advice or some discipline that you kind of, uh, stay at or remember in your mind all the time as you are perhaps conducting daily activities or, you know, evaluating deals or what have you uh, give us some pieces of some, uh, like just sort of foundation rocks that you always kind of stay by. Yeah. Um, as a capital raiser, I'm always stuffing the pipeline, <laughs> always filling my pipeline of potential relationships. Mm -hmm. 
I don't, I don't, uh, I don't need your money to car, but I want it. And if I, if I, if my thesis fits your portfolio, let's be partners, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I still use my dad's sayings. Um, my favorite, you know, by the inch, it's a cinch. Mm -hmm. Uh, the journey of 10,000 miles starts with the first step. So I, I try to stay disciplined at, at, um, having a goal, but then not looking at it too often and just focus on every day. How do I put one foot in front of the other? How do I keep momentum going in the right direction? And then you can look back, right? And you can see how, how far you've come up the mountain. You can see how far you've come uh, as a father or uh, as a husband, which are other areas and still trying to, uh, you know, keep high, high grades in. I screw up plenty, uh, <laughs> but those things are uh, even more important than how many, how many zeros are in the bank. Um, you know, for me, in any entrepreneur, I highly recommend getting into EO, uh, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, or YPO, which is um, the next level Good. up. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, surrounding yourself with other people that are trying to do the same thing. Um, you are who your friends are and who you network with. Um, that's so true. And peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning is a great way to, to keep those fires stoked. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been wonderful, Ivan. I appreciate your time. Uh, I know there Likewise. was a broad stroke of answers. And this was a <laughs> podcast where we say that, you know, the devil is in just taking the advice, understanding those momental points that you stated rather than just the, you know, the minutiae of technicalities sometimes we get into. And I appreciate your time and sharing the broad, uh, you know, sort of the background, the different practices you do. So, uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, I hope I can, uh, you know, reach out to you again in future uh, for some more, uh, you know, detailed questions and uh, have another fun podcast. <laughs> pleasure is all mine, Sakar. It was a really fun conversation, and I, I enjoyed your uh, the way you host your show and and how it's uh, the conversation uh, goes. It, it was a lot of fun. I could go for another hour if I had the time. Sure, sure. As humble as you are, I totally appreciate it. Thank you, Ivan. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. <laughs>